Hey, I'm Pastor Rhonda. And I'm Pastor Seth. You're listening to Growing Hope. Living Faith. Welcome back to Growing Hope, Living Faith. We have a special episode for you today. Yes, we are going to be doing a rerun. And, um, you know, we've done two great interviews so far. Right. And um, we did one long, 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 long back. And we just feel like it's such a great interview for us to all hear again. Right. Well, we have new listeners now. Yes. And um, this has been, I know this interview for me was pretty life-changing, yep. uh, very challenging, and I'm excited to listen to it again. And that's right. And so um, Reverend Jacoby Campbell, um, I went to college with him, and now... I am. That's right. So <laughs> Pastor Rhonda <laughs> and him are in the same class together. And uh, so we thought, hey, you know, it might be an awesome opportunity mm-hmm. um, to, to replay this episode for you guys. This interview with Jacoby Campbell, Reverend Jacoby Campbell, um, really has to do with racial reconciliation. Right. And I think my favorite thing that he said in this whole interview is that church should be a place that we practice this. On a very, very deep level. And I won't say any more. I don't want to give it away. That's but right. my goodness, that yes. was good. Yeah, this this interview just blew, blew us away. And uh, we know it's going to do the same for you. And we hope that you enjoy listening to this. Just want to go ahead and prepare you guys. This one's going to look a little bit different. And right. um, we had intended to um, do some things, but um, but it, it really it's going to hit a lot different. We had the opportunity uh, the privilege and the honor um, to be able to interview Reverend Jacoby Campbell. And um, so you're lot of what we're going to be doing is just listening to that interview. Right. Normally we do share scripture. And if you do want to go look up those passages for lectionary, we encourage you to do that. But it, what he had to say was so mm. good. It really just was like encompassing all of those about loving mercy and about loving each other. Um, well, some of the passages this week is, you know, the Sermon on the Mount right. and the um, the Micah passage about loving mercy and acting, you know, justly and those kind of things. So we thought instead of just reading those scriptures, we just wanted this episode to take this interview and just let it change your heart. I learned so much. Mm. And so anyway, we're going to stop right there and get right to it. Well, we are so glad and think we'll have Reverend Jacoby Campbell with us today. And uh, this is our first phone interview. We are so excited to have Jacoby Campbell. Jacoby, Welcome. Hey, good to be here. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, awesome. We're so glad to have you. Uh, Jacoby, uh, we went to Trevecca and University together. I just uh, wanted to give you an opportunity to be able to introduce yourself to our podcast. So if you could tell us maybe a little bit about your family, um, a little bit about your church and kind of where you're at. Okay. Uh, Jacoby, I'm in uh, South Nashville at Bell Road Church of the Nazarene. I'm sorry, the Bell Road Church. That's right. <laughs> as we do. <laughs> and uh, I am, uh, I got a beautiful wife, three beautiful daughters. And, uh, man, I'm just sitting in a, in a, in a space of uh, incredible diversity in uh, Antioch, Tennessee, uh, which is, you know, because of, I guess, the finances of the city doesn't get the, the, the support and attention it deserves in the most diverse corner of the state, near the city. And uh, so I, I, love, I love doing ministry where we are. It's a beautiful place. That's awesome. Talk, talk a little bit about the diversity, maybe where you're at. Um, I think that might be kind of good for our people to, to hear. You say you're in one of the most diverse. Um, do you have any maybe stats or even just statistics or something that just kind of shows that diversity of where you're serving? Uh, yes. Well, I'll, I'll give you this. Our area um, is only, um, I think, 15% Caucasian. So okay. if that tells you the type mm. of diversity there, we have Haitian, we have uh, Jamaican, we have uh, South American, we have 
um, your um, we have a lot of Coptic, so that's your what uh, your Israeli Egyptian area. Uh, we, we have uh, a lot of Middle Eastern because we have a big mosque here. Just say this: when I walk out of my house, the parsonage, mm-hmm. and I turn left, I have a, a Jamaican grocery store. I have an African grocery store, wow. and when I turn left and go up the hill a little bit further past the Jamaican store, I have a Hispanic-owned uh, hair store, beauty supply mm. store, wow. African-American beauty supply store. I have an a, 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 a Augustine grocery mm. store. Goodness. I have wow. a Super Mercado, okay, <laughs> and then a Dollar General. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> diversity i could get anything i want to you know what i mean wow yeah that's cool that's awesome you know we at our church we've been or at least with this podcast we've been talking about unity Uh, not necessarily uniformity but unity that um the kingdom calls us to unity um calls us to equality it calls us to a lot of those things um i know we probably didn't we didn't really prep you for this but maybe just a question as i've been sitting here trying to think um is I'm sorry, that was my phone. Uh, I forgot to turn off my notifications. Let me turn off my notifications <laughs> right now. You can tell we're new at this, right? And uh, just keeping it real. Um, so, um, but um, h- how has your church approached trying to minister to such a diverse area? Well, I tell you this: we have we have we have done the trenches with that, and what I mean by that is there are times where we can move forward and and gain ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we we fail and we dig new trenches, so we're able to get out of that thing and gain more ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, because what's happened? Well, let's just say this: when I first got to Belt Road, um, it, it, they were ready for an African American leader, it's a predominantly white church, mm-hmm. and because they had things like Dr. Charles Johnson, God rest his soul, come and do some singing. They had a uh, a black Methodist pastor that came in and was good friends with the former pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so he'd come in and preach every now and then. So they were like prepared for a black preacher. And so when I became the pastor, there was a little identity shift because they're used to, you know, the black person coming in, preaching, going home. But when I became the pastor, it was like, now there's a leading with that. You know what I mean? Like now right. there's, there's, there's new um, thought, mm. new vision. And so what, what, what happened with that is I found out that, you know, when we started bringing in African-Americans and other people and, and of diverse group people in the church, the church members would be so awkward around it. <laughs> and, and it was just this weird, like, you know, to some of the members came to me and was like, listen, we don't know how to talk to them. Right. Go, That's weird. They're people. You, mm. you, just, you know what I mean? Right. To, to me, you just say hi and you continue the conversation, but they're like, we don't, we don't know. We don't, we don't, how do we? So what we, start doing is being really uncomfortable and having some real conversations mm. about what's our hangups. What's, what are the, the things? So then we ran into, we, we started to get some traction. We had a VBS and uh, unfortunately uh, they started hanging up all these pictures of white Jesus everywhere. And, uh, some people <laughs> did. And my Lord daughter runs to me. Yeah. Right. My, my daughter runs to me and uh, you know, she was I mean, seven years ago. So maybe she was five. And she's like, Daddy. And I said, what's up? She said, they're making me kiss a picture of Jesus. And I go, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, nice. so I'm, now mind you, I got voted in in February. Mm-hmm. And VBS was in June. Right. So I wasn't there for a very long time. I wasn't there at all for, you know, I'm scratching the surface of getting integrated and, and getting established, gaining trust. And I messed around and said something like, I wish we could just tear down 
stupid pictures down. <laughs> and some members heard me, and they were like, that's what we have to do. Mm. And so they ran around yanking everything down. <laughs> that's and beautiful. so the lady, oh, you would think. And then no, I, just, no. I just knew it was going to happen. I get pulled in my office, and, and this just erupted in this anger. Oh, and, no. And just, yeah, like, you, me, in my office. And so early on, we struggled in those spaces mm. to – to realize what may be ingrained in you could be offensive to someone else, right? Because it's ingrained mm-hmm. as a great thing to you, but it is a, a trigger for someone else, right? right? It's something yeah. that makes them feel alienated and isolated. And it was hard to have those conversations because it was forced affirmation. It was, you will like this picture because this is Jesus. I mean, I remember the conversation. Mm. Them telling me, look at his eyes. One one family, look at his eyes. There's redemption in his eyes. There's Mm. peace in his eyes. And there's love in his eyes. How can you not like his eyes? (laughs) And I took the eyes and I just scribbled black in. And I go, these eyes? And they're like, what? What I was like, just like a demon. I said, right, because it's a picture made by someone who was not around Jesus. How important is this to you? Mm. That it was it worth costing someone else their salvation? Or at least the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus? And for some, and for one family, it was. It was that important, and they left the church. Mm. God be with them, you know. We're still friends, you know. They just right. can't be here. But so we struggled with releasing things um, that um, aren't important. They're not mm. salvific. Mm. And so that was the biggest hang-up was, was how, how do we approach these people with our hang-ups? And I go, well, let's get rid of the hangups and, then, and right. let's approach them in openness and vulnerability. And, uh, and so, but now seven years in, we about seventh year in February, mm-hmm. we've offended people so, <laughs> so much that we're in a space, you know, right. like when I say offended people, there used to be a note on my door, a post-it note on the front, the, the front door of my office and the back door. So when I walk in like the same door, but as I walk out of my office, there it was. When I walked into my office, there it was. And it says, who will I offend today in Jesus' name? Mm. <laughs> and so, so it wasn't that I wanted to. I just wanted to prepare myself that that until we get into a space where we can be vulnerable with one another and accept correction, that we're going to offend each other. And I'm okay with that as long as it's done in a way that is building and not a way that's destructive. Mm. You know. And and so I mean, you should have seen people were petting my kids' hair, and I can't pet my kids' hair because you know, just about 50 years ago. That was something that old white people would do mm. to rub the rub a, a black kid's hair for good luck. We're not pets. So <laughs> I understand our hair is the way it is, but you cannot do it. Well, my dad used to do it. That means your dad was a what? And I realized very quickly that it wasn't the person that I was trying to convince that something being um, triggering or offensive or has a, a racial connotation to it. Mm-hmm. I was really talking to the person who taught them that attribute. Mm. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I'm breaking down the vestige of your mother, your father, your grandmother, your grandfather, your pastor, right? Someone you mm-hmm. had deep trust. And to think that they were fallible in any way is just disruptive to uh, how you view that person, how you understand mm-hmm. that person. And, and so, yeah, so now our church is only 30% Caucasian and everything else is mixed in. And not to saying that white is the, because when you see me as a pastor, everyone assumes it's the black church. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, it's, we're really, we're really a 
I mean, you got to come in here. We we got uh, Congolese, we got Haitian, we got African, we got African American, uh, we got white, we got Macyana Jews, we got you know former Coptics, we got you know we have all this different variety in the house. And the thing that caused a lot of them to come in was their ability to, and this is going to be crazy, like their ability to practice mm-hmm. conversing, conversing with people unlike them. Mm-hmm. Like this was a safe place oh. to practice community. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those like odd, you never would have thought that that would be a reason to have a, a diverse church that you have the opportunity to practice it. And if you offend me, I can tell you. And so when you go out in the world mm. and you're meeting your coworkers and things, you have now a broader insight on how you're not in a room where everyone thinks the same way. Wow. Can you be a little more specific on when you talk about practicing? What does that look like? So it's like um, we have a lady in our church who's Congolese. Okay. Mm. And so she was raised in a space and she's, she's darker skin. She's black, right? Congolese. Mm-hmm. Well, she was, you know, was raised around a lot of Nazarenes because, you know, there was, there's, there's huge Nazarene population wherever her husband is from. I can't remember where her husband's from. Right. And, and so she was, she learned very quickly how to trust white people. Right. And she was, you know, how to partner with, with white people. She didn't really know how to work with African-Americans. And so because of the groups that she was in, she had a negative connotation towards African-American, which is global, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, globally, we're depict African-Americans depicted as lazy sluggards, violent, you know, whatever. And so that's a, that's a problem universally, right. In a lot of places. Right. And so when she came to Bell Road, she was like, this is the church next to my house. My, my, my brother, my, my husband, who's still in, in Africa, um, said I have to go to you know, a Nazarene church, got to go. And I remember her and I having a conversation, and she said, you know, I don't know how to operate around African-Americans or Hispanics. Um, is it okay that I just talk freely? And I go, do your thing. <laughs> And so, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You'll see her kind of partnering and having conversations with Snowman. We have a white lady who goes to our church. I'll leave her name out of it. She's been here for a while. And she would say the most offensive thing. Because <laughs> I went to her and I said, hey, can I ask you a question? She goes, did you say ask? I did. Wow. Black people can never say that word right. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, my oh, goodness. Me. And she's like, she's like, no, no, I didn't mean that. But did you hear what you just said? That, like, <laughs> why do you talk, you know? And, and so over the years, I have seen her grow into someone who is better and, and, will, and will proudly state, I learned mm. how to be, and this is her words, human around people that don't look like me from our past and people at our church. To be human, like that's wow. a crazy concept. Yes. But, and, and you can see that happening through a lot of uh, different conversations and people that are getting along with each other that you would not normally think it's because they're practicing, Mm -hmm. they're learning because in this place, we call it Switzerland. We don't talk politics unless it has something to do with the kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't judge one another. We're your judgment free zone. And I said, this is the one place that you'll go that no one's trying to be better than you. Wow. And you know what I mean? No one's trying to, you know, um, beat you down 
because of your past teaching, past thought. This is a place of growth and renewing of the mind. And unfortunately, but fortunately, renewing of the mind also means racial um, miscues. Mm. And so there's a lot of those conversations happening here. And, and so that comes with some offense. That comes with some, you know, some issues because people are hurt. They're church hurt. They're racially, you know, come from racially charged backgrounds. And so there's mistrust there. And so we work hard at trying to, you know, build community around that and understanding that um, we used to have a saying, if you don't get cussed out, you're not doing ministry at Bell Road. <laughs> and you know wow. what I mean? Because, because not everybody comes with the vocabulary of the saying, as we call it. Mm-hmm. You know, And so we're okay with that. And we're not just saying that's what people like you say. We're not saying things like that. We're just understanding that they come from a place, you know, we're just trying to be that. I hope I answered your question. Oh, beautifully. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. My mouth has been like hanging open this whole time. <laughs> I'm having to like shut it. <laughs> That's so good. Yes. So good. Uh, one of the excuses um, I think that I hear a lot um, within the realm of um, just people sometimes in the church is, well, I don't have an issue with racism or I don't have an issue with so-and-so or whatever or something that's different. Therefore, it's not a problem. It's not something that I need to try to pursue uh, to make sure that we're receiving justice or people are, are receiving justice in the world. Um, so I, know, I don't know if this is a fair question, but I mean, how would you speak into that? Why is it not all right to say, well, I don't have this issue or I don't have this problem. Therefore, I'm just not going to do anything about it. Well, yeah, I think the, the mindset of, you know, I don't have an issue with sin. I never had one, uh, oh. <laughs> you know, but, but, right. but when I you know, came to Christ, I realized that that's something that I have to now uh, fight against because it's, it's a real thing. I, I also try to have people come to Christ, plant seeds, that people can come to Christ so that they can live a life without sin. And mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying in that is, is that we never had a problem when we lived in the world and could be absent-minded of it. We could, we could say mm. it's not in something I'm actively uh, taking a part in as far as being overtly racist. But when you come to Christ, and this is where people misunderstand the renewing of the mind, mm. we take on the battles that um, are raging on that keeps people from hearing the message of Jesus Christ. And racism is something that I think stands flat foot with their whole chest on the side of the enemy. Mm -hmm. And so that's something as Christians, we have to actively participate in the tearing down of those strongholds because it is, it is something that keeps us from becoming the body of Christ. And that's a huge issue and I don't understand how Christians say, well, I don't have a problem. With it. I think the real, the real thing is, is that I don't know if I am participating in any form of racism, or I don't know if I have any prejudice. Help me understand what that is, right? Mm, Macro okay. and micro, right? Because most people who say they're not, they don't have a overarching macro uh, prejudice or racism, but on the, on the, on, but there are these little passive aggressive racial and, and, and prejudicial statements that they make right. and things that they do that are to them small because you picked it up mm. from your parents, from people that you know, and you don't even know you're doing it, 
But for someone like me or any African-American, any Hispanic, we can see it, mm. not because we're looking for it mm. uh, so that we can blame you for it. But here's the thing, and I want people to listen closely here. It's for our survival. Mm. And, and people don't understand that, that seeing how people operate is to the minorities as a, you know, let's just say the hearing of a rabbit in the woods. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, a rabbit hears one thing. Boom, that thing is gone. Right. Why? Because yeah. it's for its survival. It could be me not hunting it. I just want a picture of it. Mm. But if it hears anything that could be a predator's weight, they run. They got to go because if they don't, it could be their lives. And, and that is what people don't understand about how. Uh, I, I should say global majorities, because mm. <laughs> keep saying minority, so it's not inferior here. Yes. But right. global majorities in America, we have to know, we have to sense: is this a room that I can be in? How much trauma is is going to be on me if I stay in this conversation? Because racial inclinations, it it's, comes off as violence, and mm. and so we 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 have to go home and we have to digest. All of the innuendos, all of the passive aggressive tendencies, all of the macro and micro racist and prejudicial statements that were made. And then we have to get ourselves ready to do to, to go to bed, wake up in the morning and prepare ourselves for another day of battle. Another day where we got to pay attention, look left or right. Don't bring anything into the store you didn't pay for. You know, I see people come in the store, Walmart with stuff that Walmart sells. I have to tell my kids, don't you bring anything in here that they sell in this store because I don't want anyone to come after me like I stole something. Mm. You, you, and I, and I, or, you know, I say, hey, put that down. Why? Because I don't want you to carry it around too much. Because and then people will say, well, that's too far. No, no, that's survival. That's how we live. If I'm in a parking lot, I have to think if I see an early white lady or a family or as a six foot two, 265 pound black man, I have to then put my thing called identity valence. What part of you is showing right in mm. different circumstances? If I'm on the elevator with a white woman, I have to think about this. Do I want to get on this elevator with this one white woman or should I wait? Mm. That's a conversation that most people won't ever have. Right. But for my survival. Because look at look at Tulsa, Oklahoma, look at Emmett Till, look at down the list. Like these things are stories are like oral tradition in the black community. We understand that any moment, any time someone says that we did anything and we look a certain way, we're in trouble, guilty until proven innocent. Mm -hmm. And so when people say they don't have those 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 issues, I wonder if they understand how deeply ingrained those tendencies are because psychologically speaking, just how ingrained my resp my responses are, are just as ingrained as those tendencies are. Wow. Uh, and so I, I would, I would, I question people who say that and go, well, why don't you look and see, like there's a self-evaluation. The Bible talks about accountability, mm -hmm. self-accountability, talks about self-control. And, and you got to look at those things and say, well, this is nothing I have to control. 100% you do. Because the Bible says they will know you are mine by the way that you love. 
And one of the things you do for people that you love is you better understand the one you love. I'll say this. Me and my wife were in a conversation one day on this live for, for, um, for uh, some couples, pastoral couple thing. Mm-hmm. And the question was, what is the one thing that you pray that will change about your husband? And here's what my wife said. And what's one of the most beautiful things that I've, I've taken to heart. She said, I love my husband. So I don't pray that he changes for me. I pray that I better understand him so that I can show him the love that I feel. Wow. Right? So good. And so it's not on me to to do anything as a person, but for her to better understand how to show love. And if we love our neighbors as we love ourselves and we are doing this Christ love, then our prayer should be, Lord, help me better understand those people I don't understand so that I can better show my love, which is a self-evaluation thing, which is going back to me and saying, how do I show that I'm not like them, that I'm, I'm an ally, I am their brother, I am their sister, instead of being like, you have to change. No, no, you pray to better understand how you can better show love. And you let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work. Wow. Okay, I have a question, and I'm just going to be very transparent, very real. Um, Obviously, I'm a middle-aged white woman. I can't help that. That's the way I was born. And my heart, I you know, I've heard your heart, and my my mind, my jaw has just been literally on the floor, just hurting, you know, about things that you've experienced. But as a just a normal white person that I live in a white community um everywhere I go there's pretty much just white people just like me um and how do you I mean where do you start I mean it's not like you can walk up to some random black person and say hey I'm white and you're black can we be friends I mean how where do you start because that's my heart I I really want to know build a relationship you know that's kind of what what I what because because I it's just like when you're in your community as your pastor, you're building relationships by, you know, being incarnational. For me, it was sitting at a bus stop, giving out bottle waters in the summertime. I talked to everybody at that bus stop. Why? Because it was hot and they wanted my water. <laughs> and so I built tons of relationships with tons of different types of people. And I was able to kind of understand that I still had prejudice. Believe me, you, I had a ton of them. Let me tell you this. I'll tell you this quick story. This is mm-hmm. so embarrassing, but I'll tell you because I love you guys. <laughs> uh, and I can't let you be vulnerable without me being vulnerable myself. So yeah. here it is. When I first got to Bill Road, I was thinking of board meeting, my first board meeting of my life. And I remember quite uh, the, the meeting where we're going over the budget. And I'm sitting here looking at, mind you, I worked five years in finance. I used to work in predatory lending, unfortunately. Uh, but I ran a title match. I don't know if you know what title match is. Yes. And so, okay, so I ran, I ran a title match for, you know, a million-dollar store in title max for years. So, so anyway, so I'm looking at the church finances, and I go, hey, we're spending 500 bucks a quarter on books from NPH. Hmm. And we don't, we're not paying it off for three months. And then by the time we pay it off, Barely, we got another $500 bill. Why are we paying for that? And I got so frustrated. We were paying $45 a line for our emergency lines, right? These are mm. like the 911 call right. Right? right? Why do we have visual voicemail and caller ID <laughs> on, <laughs> on, on that, right? And, and, and here's my deal. 
I got so frustrated. I said, but you guys are freaking white. <laughs> what is going on with you all? And they're like, what? You're white. What is your problem? And what? White people know money. It's like, how do you grow up learning finances? Mm. And you're wow. just this numb with what you do with the money. Mm. And they're looking at me. They go, well, pastor, who told you that? <laughs> it was my own prejudice. Uh-huh. <laughs> because growing up, we're taught that white people learn money. Mm. They get passed down uh, equity yeah. and real estate. And, you know, we're building wealth while everyone else who's white is compounding wealth. And I took that thought unknowingly into my board meeting, into the ministry and accused those people of not being white. (laughs) (laughs) white And and I had to like, like recoil and go, I am so sorry. I don't know where that came from. I'm not mad at you all. I'm mad at the thought of my prejudicial statement. Mm. Why would I assume that just as much as you don't know about me, I knew about you? Mm. So, you know, and so, right. and so I had to come back to life and meet some other people and talk to some people at the church and let go of my own prejudicial statements and get to know some people. And let me tell you something. I know Amy at Kroger down the street. Mm. She's like my closest, <laughs> my cashier buddy. Okay. Mm. So General Heather. Head of the Dollar General up the street. And I'm going to get about Mark at Burger King. You know, like mm. those were my teachers. Wow. And I did, and, and it took me some time to really build those relationships. But, man, I started off with, hello, hey, yeah, can I get this? By the way, um, you know, how long have you been working here? Oh, mm. I this time. Okay, great. Well, hey, you're doing a great job. Thank you. I'll come back. And I go, hey, you know, and then making those wow. subtle connections okay. until I can go back to Bell Road and be, and be better because I was not. I mean, after that meeting, I thought about resigning because of how I came off. And I was like, how can I pass your people that I am obviously, I have prejudicial thoughts about. Uh, This is not right. (laughs) You know what I mean? So maybe that will help you because it really helped me. Right. That did. That helped a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just been a path that I feel like the Lord's put me on to open my eyes and to be tenderhearted. Just, you know, hearing you talk about you know, taking your kids into Walmart, I'm, I've never had to do that. I, it's never crossed my mind. I mean, and it just breaks my heart because that should not be. Right. And it just seems so overwhelming. Like, I can't fix that. But what can I do? You know, what what can I do? Because that's horrible. But, yeah. No, it's, it's, oof. I mean, I mean, I had to tell my daughter she was black when she was seven. Mm. And let me tell you something. That's something that they don't know until you tell them. Because kids don't know. Kids right. don't know they're black or white. They just know they're kids. Right. Or that it matters. Mm. But she was told that she, she was told by a student that her dad said that the only thing that black girls are good for is being on the bats. And I had to, I had to, uh, had to sit down with my um, seven-year-old daughter and had to see her life crushed Mm. as I explained to her what it meant Mm. to be a black lady in America. And let me tell you something, nothing hurts worse than to tell your kid something where you can physically, visibly see dreams start to get crushed and reality shift 
And my seven-year-old had to be grown at seven and learn how to carry herself differently at seven freaking years mm. old. Wow. And then now it's a journey to build her back up and go, listen, that only, I'm only telling you, I only told you that mm. so that you are unbothered by the realities of what people will think of you. Yeah, you got to be twice as smart in every room that you're in. Yeah, you got to be twice as qualified to get anything you want in life. But I said, but here's the greatest news. Some of the most educated people in America, the most educated mm. group in the country is black women. Why? Because they took, they take the mission seriously. We have to be this educated to get anything we want. So you have to be, here's your opportunity to take that. And man, my oldest, you know, that's the first person I had to tell that to. She's living it, man. She's, wow. she's, she's living it. My last child, she's living it. My middle kid is still dealing with it. Yeah. Wow. She's still like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, you're good. You know? And it's so enlightening just from the first part of the conversation when you introduce myself. I'm, you know, I've got three daughters. And then to hear you say that, it's like just a world that I can't comprehend. And I'm so glad I talked to you because I feel um, enlightened. Wow. <laughs> We're just kind of sitting here looking at each other, speechless. I don't even know how to close. That was amazing. And I think it's best to just let that settle and um, just open our hearts, you know, just to pray. Lord, open my heart. Um, Show me what needs to go and um, keep my heart soft and keep my ears open, my eyes open. Well, we really hope that you enjoyed listening to that again. And uh, every time you listen to it, you can just find new things, you know, that really stick out and things that are said. And and we definitely appreciate Reverend Jacoby uh, for coming on and being a part. And I just want to challenge everyone to share this, Mm -hmm. you know, share this with your friends and with your peers and maybe on your social media pages. It's such a message that needs to be out. It needs to be heard by a lot of people, but it definitely needs to be heard by the church on a very, very deep level. So once again, thank you so much for listening. And if there's anything we can ever do for you, don't hesitate to reach out. You can reach us at email at uh, growinghopelivingfaith at gmail.com. And we have a Facebook page, Growing Hope Living Faith Podcast. So we would love to hear from you, whatever it might be. And um, feel free to be able to do that. Well, we love you all. Pray and hope you enjoyed that. Grace and peace. God bless. Bye-bye.